1: Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous, episode 126, Top 10 Battle Games. We like to thank WAR for being absolutely worth nothing except when it comes to battle games. You're listening to a proud member of the Dice Tower Network, dedicated to bringing podcasters together for
0: the greater good of gaming. It's sort of like Voltron. But with better lip syncing,
1: find out more at DicetowerNetwork.com. Welcome to Board Gamers Anonymous the podcast about board gamers and the insane fun we have at the table together. This is Chris, and this is Anthony. Hey, Anthony, we're back again. And we have a great episode. We are talking about battle
0: games. And what better day to do it than Game of Thrones Day.
1: (laughs) So thematic! (laughs) We're actually recording this a few minutes before the episode comes on, so we're going to get this out, we're going to get this up to you, and we're all going to enjoy Game of Thrones. And for the rest of us, too, after Game of Thrones is over, we'll kind of jump back and watch the Twin Peaks episode, but... That's for another episode and another feature review. Anthony, what's been going on? Have you been getting any gaming done
0: this week? Yeah, man. Like, more than usual, actually. I've been uh, knocking stuff out. The The normal game night was Ethnos and Terraforming Mars, so nothing new but some some classics. Okay. Uh, not classics. New games, but awesome games. <laughs> but the big, big game this week for me was First Martians finally showed up.
1: Oh, wow. Yeah. I saw the video. Uh,
0: Yeah, yeah, so I got it on Thursday, and then I immediately recorded opening it because I wanted to open it right away. I threw that up and got a chance to learn through it, and it's not quite as complicated to learn as Robinson Crusoe, but it's possible that's because I already know Robinson Crusoe, but I'll be be back in a week or two with some thoughts once I've gotten through a few more of these. I've played through two and a half now, and I'm still trying to untangle the rules because it's split between the book and the app, but it's good. It's good. It's fun.
1: That's great. Yeah, I remember Robin Crusoe, it had a chit for every possibility, every different scenario, and just setting that game up was a monster. So I saw your unboxing video, and as you said, it seems to be a lot more self-contained and a little more aware of what it's trying to do.
0: Yeah, yeah, it seems a little more streamlined, because you don't have, like, the 90 cards out there, of things you have to build, (laughs) right? That's true. So any scenario makes it very specific. Like, you're not necessarily exploring the whole planet every time, but sometimes you are. You know, it depends on what you're doing.
1: Yeah, I haven't been able to get something that epic, at least in the mail, but I did get to play some games that I've been meaning to catch up on. So I got to play a game of Cult Express, thanks to my friend Jay at Game Night. That was a lot of fun. I actually have it and have not unpacked it, so this was really good to catch up with that game. Typically not a fan of programming game, but this worked out really well. I am getting a party game out a lot, which I never thought I would say publicly that I was, but... This new Wits and Wagers Casino, mat, and we're going to talk more about this later. But I've been getting this out at multiple game groups, and everyone's really enjoyed it. And I've enjoyed kind of like being the casino dealer there. So that's been great. I got another game of Lisboa out. Ooh. I know. <laughs> it's my my third game of Lisboa, and everyone likes the way I'm teaching it. So I'm really proud about that because that game is a bit of a monster when it comes to trying to get everyone... Focus from turn one because if you're not focused early on you're going to have problems later on so glad to get this taught to i guess at this point i would say about nine more people so nine more people on the lisboa train so it's always good to see that uh people are enjoying that game and from what i'm hearing from people who've played lacerda games in the past they find lisboa to be the most streamlined of his games at this point yeah i'd agree with that okay yeah, I haven't played his other games before, so that was you know reassuring to hear, and still a very long to get through, but I, I think with committed teachers who've gone through this very, very <laughs> detailed, and I think that's very good. I mean, I would say that if you had four brand new players then just run it as like kind of almost like a GM where you can kind of help people through it because it's going to save you a lot of time in the game. I think I had an early playthrough where I was playing and teaching and it just wasn't working out. I just kind of mentally gave up on playing the game and I was just like, let me teach here. But this last game, I had somebody who knew how to play the game because he had played it before and one, two other new people, but they're kind of pretty solid gamers and we got through a good game of it. I really enjoyed it. So uh, Listerta is getting out there. Awesome. While I, while I scream at the heavens, where is my copy? It's, it's on a boat somewhere. I think that's the real funny thing. It's like going back to, like, I don't know, grade school where you get to be the kid on the block with the brand new toy so everybody wants to play. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got the hotness. Yeah, I want to play the hotness. Like, no, I really want to play five other games. No, I going to play the hotness. All right, we'll play the hotness. So, <laughs> the hotness is still getting out there. So,. If you see it around there, play it. And we already reviewed it previously, so you know it's it's new, it's great, it's wonderful. But beyond that, Anthony, what is our listeners talking about? What's going on with our question of the week? All right. So I asked because you know
0: it, it seemed like a good time of the summer to do this, and I kind of it was a kind of a social experiment. I wanted to see how many positive responses we would get. Uh, spoiler alert, not a lot. Okay. I asked, what is your most controversial opinion in gaming? So I was, I was asking for hot takes, basically. Sure. And s- most of them were pretty in line with all the, you know, if you were to a- ask, what are the most common hot takes in gaming, you'd hear like three okay. uh, Legacy games suck, Cthulhu sucks, and apps suck. And that was about <laughs> 75% gotcha. of the responses. Gotcha. But, you know, there's a handful of others mixed in here. Uh, Nico says, I have no interest in playing zombie-themed games. I've passed up on Dead of Winter many times. Which is interesting to me, because I don't like zombie-themed games at all. But I also, I played Dead of Winter, because
1: you kind of had to. Yeah, right? and I think Dead of Winter isn't really a zombie game as much as it is a survival game. So, it might be the exception. Yeah, exactly. It's
0: it's less zombies, more survival. Yep. Brandon says, that Twilight Struggle is a bore. Uh, that That was... And people, people kind of hit him on that a little bit on Twitter. Um, and then people they kind of got into an argument about Strike, which is a, it's a dice rolling game for like five or six years ago that you probably never heard of because it's no good. But I thought it was kind of funny. People trying to be fake uh, controversial. OK. Carl says, and this was the only positive one, kind of. He said, nothing wrong with Kulmini cool or not, Kickstarter exclusive resale. If there is market demand and they wish to invest, they're taking nothing away from anyone. Right. And I don't disagree with that. Like, nobody's forcing anybody to buy these things on eBay. So no problem there. Okay. Um, we can all agree that maybe, well, no, we don't all agree, but might have a problem with the fact that those exclusives exist in the first place. That's a different argument. And then the one that got me and that I wanted to attack was... At board Offline on Twitter said, Lord of the Rings LCG is an unconscionable pay-to-play system that shamefully forces players to buy x packs just to enjoy the base set. Wow. I disagree. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so, I mean, a lot of good responses. A couple people pointed out games that don't need expansions. Major Havoc says Seven Wonders is perfect in the original form, Mm -hmm. which I think we've, in the past, would have disagreed with because we've talked about those expansions and some of them being useful.
1: Yeah, love leaders.
0: Yeah, yeah, I would agree with that. But yeah, like a lot of good answers. And everybody out there who said Pandemic Legacy is awful or you hate apps and games, just know that we're thinking of you as well. There's just a whole bunch of you. So I'm not going to read all of
1: them. It's true, especially when it comes to controversial themes, definitely.
0: I mean, what about you? Anything uh, you consider your opinion-wise especially controversial?
1: It's kind of hard to say if anything's controversial that I've said up to this point because after doing, I don't know, 126 episodes of this and another 30 episodes of Kicking the Habit and everything online, I'm not sure if there's anything new I can say that's controversial. I I guess as a heavy gamer, it's controversial that I actually do like Munchkin and even to this point still collect it. For me, it's kind of like a throwback to being a kid and like Mad Magazine where you get to, you know, get all these fun these fun parodies and puns of D&D and all these different genres and it's just enjoyable to kind of go through a box, see all the cards, if you get to play a game with the family and my family actually plays this so I can build up kind of a crazy tableau and there's literally a flavor for everything. So, I guess amongst my heavy gamers that would be tremendously controversial. But beyond that, I, I think it's I think pretty much the same stuff, you know, keeps in line. You know, we have our challenges with a lot of things gaming out there. I I guess when it comes to gaming, I'm not bothered by people who have heavy AP. I kind of feel for them sometimes because sometimes I have heavy AP. So if someone's going to take a long time on a turn, as long as you don't mind me take my phone out, I'm fine with that. Which I know is also controversial. But if you're taking 15 minutes to make a choice, I'm going to take my phone
0: out. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that, that's got to be part of the, that's that's part of the transaction, guys.
1: <laughs> yeah, a little bit. How about you, Anthony? Anything truly controversial?
0: Uh, no, I don't know, man. I'm I'm always that guy in the middle who gives everything a seven. I yeah. don't. <laughs> I I do hate me some trick taking games. I dislike pretty much all party games. I'm never interested in anything social deduction, like at all. I'll play it because, you know. It's the social contract of being in a gaming group, and sometimes sure. you have to play those games, but I'm not having fun. So, yeah, I mean, that's probably as controversial as I get, but then how often do I say that except right now?
1: I don't know. It's true. I guess we could have a question of the week. Well, like, you know, what are your deep, dark secrets when it comes to gaming? So I guess like social deduction games. If I'm playing a social deduction game with you, I really like you. I really like playing games with you because otherwise yeah. <laughs> I'm probably going to play, want to play something heavier. So it's a good time. All right, so that's our question from the week. And if you like to jump in and give us your opinions on the most controversial topics out there, at least according to board gaming, these questions go up on Facebook, Twitter, and also you can find links and you can find more information on Board Gamers Anonymous at boardgamersanonymous.com. I know that's controversial. We have a guild on Board Game Geek. We would love for you to jump on there. And if you want to read any more of our controversial reviews and ratings – Anthony and I both have our profiles on BoardGameGeek, so you can see of a lot of our ratings, see how we rate things, see what gets a 10 and what gets a 5, or what gets all 7s, because that's typically how Anthony <laughs> rates. But all of that stuff is out there. Don't forget to rate us and review on iTunes and Stitcher. That helps us out a great deal getting the board game hobby out to everybody. And our Patreon account and our Amazon affiliate link. A little bit here helps us out a lot. So with that said, Anthony, let's get on to our acquisition disorders for this week. So, Anthony, what are you looking forward to playing? Okay, so I've
0: been combing through the Gen Con list, uh, preparing for our visit. Uh, Gen Con's <laughs> in just a less, well, it's about exactly a month from today, actually. Woo-hoo. So I've been building the spreadsheet of who we're going to talk to and what we're going to be looking at. And so rather than the big stuff, and there's a lot of big stuff, which we, some of which you've talked about, some of which we haven't, but you know it's coming up. I was trying to find a few smaller things from smaller publishers that would be interesting to take a look at. And so one of those is Twilight of the Gods. This is a new game from Victory Point Games. And designer Chris Cluey, the former punter of the Minnesota Vikings. Yes, that is correct. <laughs> now, if you've if you've seen any of his tweets or anything on Twitter, you know he's a giant nerd. He's a huge World of Warcraft fan. He's into board games. He does all these things. It's just I always find it funny to say former punter for the Minnesota Vikings instead of, you know, geek aficionado, because the the first one's funnier. So this is his new game about different mythologies and pantheons of gods from different civilizations. And what you're trying to do is utilize each of these different pantheons and the type of strategy that they specifically employ. And then there's a few different types here, aggression, negotiation, mysticism, and sanctuary to influence the battles and how they play out. Um, it's largely a card game, deck, pool building, hand management, you know, very basic. It doesn't seem like a particularly heavy game, seems very much card based, but it looks interesting. It has kind of uh, that victory point feel to it, which is a little bit heavier than the average lighter midweight game. And we'll see what level of components they have because they seem to be 50-50 these days on the nicer quality versus their older in-house print quality. But yeah, this would be an interesting one. It's one I'm going to definitely track down because they have a lot of interesting games that have come out recently, a couple I've been playing that I'll be talking about in the future, Uh, and this is one of their new ones. So I'll be taking a crack at this one at Gen Con.
1: Now, one of the games I'm looking forward to, and especially after our last episode, is a Feld game, a brand new Feld game. Now, don't worry, it's not Monopoly Game or the Agricola Edition. It's actually Merlin. Now, this is a game that's going to come out in Essen, and it's very little, and I mean Little information about this other than a couple of really high-quality pictures of a prototype copy. So basically, if you allow me to, I'm going to take you through at least what it looks like and hopefully what it plays like. So we're looking at Theory and Legend. We're looking at a, I guess, a square board. But inside this square board, we have the round table. So right there, you have the round table set up. You have actions that kind of wrap around the inside of the round table and because it's a fell there's a number of different colored dice in the middle which sorts in that area so it looks like it's going to be another situation where you're going to roll dice to see either how powerful an action is or how many of an action you can take and there is a white little I guess it would be a meeple or maybe maybe it's Arthur himself or maybe it's Merlin that looks like it could possibly move around and activate certain things. There are other colored meeples there that I guess is kind of representing different player powers. And there seems to be like almost like a king's court area where there's these little cylinders with stickers on them. And once again, this is a prototype, but it looks to have all the markings of a quality Feld game. And in this case, now if the prototype can be believed and probably be better than the prototype pictures that are on Board Game Geek, it looks to be really nicely done it looks it looks beautiful a lot of really a lot of nice solid cubes and as i said wood cylinders and not colored dice and the artwork looks excellent there seems to be a player board with i'm, I'm assuming is knights and merlin there and then there's a separate board on the side that looks like it's either pre-assembled or it's maybe assembled as the game goes on with different castle colors so it's a feld it looks like it has a great theme and looks like solid, you know, development here. So uh, this is something I'm looking forward to. Unfortunately, I won't be at Essen for this, like Anthony will be at Gen Con, but maybe I'll see this at PAX Unplugged. Here's open, man. New Feld. I want it. <laughs> <laughs> so much good Feldness. All right. So that's everything for our Acquisition Disorders. Now to our At the Table with Team BGA. Anthony, what did you get to the table this week? Okay,
0: so the game I got to the table uh, recently is one we picked up at Origins. So this is from De Vere. Um, it's also from the designers of my favorite game of all time, War of the Ring, Marco Maggi and Francesco Nepotello. It is Barcelona, the Rose of Fire. Uh, the game is about the expansion of Barcelona at the end of the 19th century when they took down the old city walls and said, Have at, you may now expand the city. And all the wealthy people went and started building. So what you're doing is you are building using cards in your hand. And that part of the game is at this at one time very simple and at another time decently complex because you have to manage a couple of different things. But that's not the whole game. The, the actions you take when placing your tiles and your buildings will influence the notoriety that you gain. And that notoriety is important here. Um, which can later hurt you because there are strikes, there are riots, there are angry people because this was not handled very well, historically speaking. So what you do on your turn is you play a card. The card will say where you can build, and then you're going to place it in one of several different districts, um, usually adjacent to other buildings based on color. But if it's the beginning of the game, you get to choose based on some arrows on the board. And then you place one of your building uh, meeple things on the tile based on what's on the card. There are four different options, one point, two points, three or four. And that's how many points are on the roof. The fewer there are, the more fancy the building is. And the fancier buildings are worth more victory points. But they also re- basically result in you putting more of your own workers in the Ravel zone. And the more that you have in that zone from at the, at the end of every round, the more go into this bag. So you're going to put all those workers in the bag along with the handful of soldiers And then you're going to pull out a number of figures from the bag and put them into uh, the barracks. Now, when you do that, there's a chance that you'll have the most workers there. Now, obviously, if you put more in, there's a better chance you'll have more at the end of it. Not guaranteed, but a good chance. If that happens, you get punished. Uh, You'll move down on the prestige track. You won't get as many good bonuses. There's special cards that are given out at the end of every round based on kind of... Everybody's level uh, when you get come at the end of this. There's a track that moves up based on how many of those soldiers come out. If you, As you move along the track, certain things become unavailable. So there's these special tiles that you can purchase. Some of them become unavailable as you pass them on the, on the bomb track. And then if the bomb track reaches the end, then all those buildings that were worth four victory points are suddenly worth one. And all the ones that were worth one are suddenly worth four. It's an interesting kind of flip that happens It seems to only happen about 10 to 20% of the time, but if somebody really wants to make it happen, it can happen. The game itself is deceptive. It seems very simple. You play a card, you put a tile down, that's it. But there's a few things you have to keep track of. You have to keep track of how many things are going into that bag, what the probability is that you're going to be the one with the most uh, workers that come out of there. You have to keep track of how many points you have out, and then you have to keep track of majority because there are three different zones and whoever has the most of each type of building in each area is going to get additional cards. Uh, and those cards are going to be better and allow you to do more things in future rounds. So you really have to be kind of balancing a few different things. You know, you could put, just put out awesome buildings the whole time, but then you're probably going to end up really low on the, on this track and that's going to hurt you. At the same time, that second part that I described, putting the stuff in the bag and pulling them out. It's a little bit random. Uh, it doesn't matter if you do really well. You can mitigate the luck there. But in the end, you could still be the one to have your stuff pulled out, and you could still end up moving down on the prestige track, and you could still end up getting hurt. And so what ends up happening, at least in two out of the three or four plays that we've done, is the person who gets jumps to a lead in the first or second round tends to just play very conservatively the rest of the game to make sure they don't get pulled out and punished later on. And it doesn't guarantee a whim, but it, they've been very close every time. So I don't think it's a runaway problem. I don't think that's necessarily imbalanced at all. It seems to actually balance out in the end, but it causes great frustration. So it's one of those games where you look at it and you say, okay, it's not imbalanced. It obviously has been play tested well, it works well, and it's kind of cool. But none of that really matters if everybody's upset while they're playing the game. So it's a tough one to recommend. I really like it, personally, having played it enough times now to see the different nuances and to know that things kind of flow in a certain way. But I also know that the people I've played it with, several of them don't want to play again because it doesn't necessarily always have a good first impression. If you get hurt really hard by this bag mechanic... For whatever reason, it seems it, like it hits people differently than dice. You know, it's not any more random than dice, but it seems to hit them differently. And just the way it kind of ties into this basic tile laying thing, it feels like a, this kind of curveball thrown at you. So I'm going to give it a, str- a play. I think it's still a decent game. I think it's worth playing. I think everybody should, should play it. And if you like it, awesome. But it's hard to recommend as a buy because I'm now having trouble getting into the table. Um, and some people have had, you know, a stronger negative reaction to it. And I understand that because my first play was very similar. And the, there are just some wonky bits there. It is hard to catch up on that prestige track once you fall behind. There are a few catch-up mechanics for that, but if somebody plays it right and they're conservative in how they play, it is a little tough to catch up to them. But not impossible. So Barcelona at the Rose of Fire, I think it's a good game. Uh, I think it's well-constructed. It's a tough one to get out, and it's hard to push through some of these kind of barriers that people might have so you know be careful with it give it a play if you see it sit down and give it a go go. especially if it's my copy i'd love to play again but yeah i can't give it a full buy on this
1: one if you're going to get people to come back to the table more than once and if the game like for example agricola has this too where if you don't do the right things early on you're going to pay for it for the next hour and a half so you might either need to teach the game by just teaching the strategy to win or this game probably needs some player aids that talks about the strategy and talks about things they need to know in advance because otherwise they're not coming back to the table twice
0: yeah this one's tough because it's not that complicated the problem is someone is going to get punished sure every round like it the nature of the game is someone gets punished it's not like you can avoid it Mm-hmm. Even if you, everybody does everything perfectly, one person's going to get hit, and if that same person gets hit two or three times in a sure. row, they're having a bad time. Gotcha. And I can't blame them because that that sucks. Right? Does that feel, or does that connect thematically to the
1: game for that to happen?
0: Uh, it does when the right person does. Like if you build too many mansions. And you get punished for it, then, yeah, that's, you know, when we set up the game and I teach the rules, that's exactly what I'm telling everybody. Like, if you build too expensive, then you're going to get hurt later. But if you're very careful mm-hmm. or even if you're just playing conservative or let's say everybody's building the exact same thing and then one person gets hit two or three times because of luck, because sure. of that's what gets pulled out of the bag. It's it's hard to justify that to them and be like, Well, you know, it's just the draw of the game. And they're like, Well, this still sucks, you know. True. I'm I'm guaranteed to lose because of the random draw out of the bag. Um that obviously doesn't happen every time, but it can, and that's tough because the game has to have somebody come up. Sure. And it's not a huge penalty, that's the thing. It doesn't guarantee you lose, it just feels bad. And you do start
1: from behind in the next round. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I have a little bit of a similar situation, a game I recently played at DEXCON 2017, and that's ULM. ULM. This is a game from R&R Games by Gunther Burkhardt, and it's your standard Euro looking game. You basically have a really beautifully illustrated European city, you have this really nice cardboard cutout that's kind of standing in the middle of the board of the cathedral that's being built. And that also acts as like kind of the player count. And you have this little river on the bottom. Basically, the game reminds me of Bruges in a way. At least the way the board looks and how it's kind of set up. But basically, what you're going to do is, in this very affluent time, you are going to kind of spread your influence, raise additional funds, and utilize a really unique nine little square chits that are squeezed together in like a box. And then on your turn, you are going to take from a bag another chit. And on that chit, it's going to have a certain symbol on it that's going to be an action that you can take that round. And you are going to put it on the outside of this nine square and you are going to push one of the other tiles out to make a new configuration of nine. Now, where you pushed it, allows you to activate not just the little kind of chit tile that you picked out of the bag, but the other two that are also in that same line. So based on what's typically there on your turn and what you pick up, and then there are some kind of mitigating tiles where you can kind of go to a certain area on the bottom of the board that lets you pick your, your choice, but sometimes your choice is not fair. But basically it's going to allow you to put what they call seals on the board, which will kind of allow you to control an area and get victory points. And then there's money, and then there's picking up additional chits in the game, and then there's getting cards and playing cards or moving the ship down the river. And the river area is really the most important part of this game because based upon how far you move your ship on the river, it's going to determine where you can kind of control and what actions you can take on the board. Now, from the looks of this game, it looks like your standard Euro, medium weight, has all the hallmarks of it. There's a set collection aspect where you're going to pick up cards, and if you play it right there, you give up something to get victory points, or if you play it in a set, you can actually gain a lot of victory points if you are able to create the whole set. The challenge I felt with this game is it's a little deceptive on how extremely easy it is, and it's a little problematic based upon... A first player situation because as I said earlier since you are moving down the river the first second third player are gonna have a lot more opportunities at those areas that are open and they can kind of fill up those areas quite quickly so if you're at the end or for some reason you don't get a boat action to move your boat down you're kind of stuck in a bad situation and then once again, since it's a random deck of cards based upon what sets you get, you'll be able to play that. Now, the game is not difficult. The game is trying to shoot for a family weight. So it will actually help you you know, move things along. Like you can go through the whole discard pile and pick a card out, which is crazy. And then when you actually play the cards, it gives you multiple ways to score points. It's a fun, light Euro game. They're saying it's a 2.56 on BoardGameGeek. I think it's more like a 2.2, to be honest with you. But the player order is going to throw you. And since there isn't a way to kind of readjust the player order, you you might have a bad time if you're on the the back end of that. I, I generally like the game. I think it's worth a play. But I can't see owning this game and I can't see returning back to the game if you can find this on deep, deep discount, maybe it's worth picking up and you can play with family, kind of enjoy the the mechanics as almost like a really thin gateway game. But beyond that, Alm is something that's really interesting to look at, and I really hope it was a little bit heavier, and maybe, who knows, maybe they'll add an expansion or something more to the game.
0: That's uh, a shame. Yeah, it, l- it seemed like it would be a little bit heavier. It's just those games that fall in that weird-in-between space, I don't, I don't know where they fit.
1: Yeah, I don't know what they were trying to do here because just the looks alone of the game and that little kind of challenging square with the nine little cardboard chits, I don't know if a family's going to sit down and, and be interested in kind of playing with that mechanic because while it's not complex, looking at it's a little troubling and I don't see anyone being really interested in that. But it is what it is and that's OM. So let's get on to our feature review talking about some of the best. And in this case, the top 10 battle games. Now, Anthony and I want to kind of preface this top 10 list because we are talking about battle games and not war games, right? Anthony, war games is a whole separate category?
0: Yeah, so just to avoid us making fools of ourselves and or angering the actual war gamers out there, these are not war games with maybe a couple of exceptions that have straddled the line. But war games like the big GMT, uh, you know MM, uh, the big big ones with all the chits that take six hours and you're replicating an actual conflict in history, not what we're going for here. These are board games that primarily focus on battle and combat, and, and that are driven by that those fights.
1: Yeah, and especially a lot of board games, if not almost all board games, with I guess with the exception of the co-op games, have some form of competitiveness. Or challenge. So, uh, for my friend Jay out there, you know, it's not Battle Con here because what we're looking at is war type actions, maybe skirmish type actions, board games in which the game is pretty much, I would say, 90 95% all about actual battling. What you do on your turn is you're battling the other players or the other player, and you're not really doing much more than that. And if you are doing something much more, maybe 5 or 10% more, it's just to build up your army just a little bit more to do more battling. So this is not kind of like your epic kind of 12-hour game. This is something that you're going to battle. You're going to use war-type mechanics. These are two armies or multiple armies or fantasy armies or science fiction armies. And the games are all about battling. So with that said, Anthony, let's get on to our top 10 here. Why don't you start us off?
0: All right, so this is one of the ones that makes me sad because it's almost certainly dead, but it's one of the best, I think, for the last few years, and that's Battle lore 2nd Edition. This is the fantasy take from Terranoth Universe by Fantasy Flight Games on the Command & Colors system with mixes in the lore cards, and you have basically you have army versus army, but unfortunately there's only the three factions that ever came out um, with two armies each because they cut the game short for their new miniature game. But this is a fantastic game. Really, any of the command and color system is fantastic. Um, Beautiful miniatures, fantastic, different uh, ways to approach the game, different ways to approach building your own army. Uh, The game only takes about an hour. Lots and lots of fun here.
1: So number nine is going to be Small World amazing amount of replayability really fun beautiful artwork in this days of wonder release the races and the special powers mix and match so you get multiple combinations even throughout the game you play your race until your race gets exhausted and then you pick out a new race to do more battling with that's amazing there's no other game really like that Not to mention the fact that the game scales so well because it has multiple boards. So if you're playing a two-player game, you're great. If you're playing a five-player game, you're still great. You don't see that in a lot of games. Typically, when it's a war or a battle game, depending on the number of players, it's really going to throw it up. You don't have to worry about Small World. It's basically attack. It's about bringing a new race out, and you keep attacking, and you're scoring points. And that's Small World, and it's amazing. All right, Anthony, what's our number eight? Okay,
0: we're gonna go super small here. So this is the probably the smallest um, scale of any of these games, and that's the Doom, Imperial Assault, Descent system from FFG. Um, now this is these are dungeon crawls. They're not necessarily battle or war related, but in these games, 75-80% of what you're doing is combat. You're moving, you're fighting things. They're coming at you, and especially in Imperial Assault, where they've added the um two-player skirmish mode where it is just combat where you're trying to defeat the enemy it's you know kind of that in-between level between a board game and a war game i think you have a fantastic system that here that really works well to just it makes combat fun and that's that's kind of what we're looking for
1: all right well our number seven pick is niroshima hex now niroshima hex is amazing not just for the board game but also the quick fast playing app Basically, you can be one-on-one or you can have multiple players in a very small kind of arena battlefield. And your race is going to have unique warriors that are going to do different things. And your faction itself is going to come with a unique power. You're going to protect your base while you try to take out their base. It's quick. It's fast. It's simple. It has so many different expansions to it. It's just a lot of fun and a quick time to play. That's Niroshima Hex, our number seven. Anthony, what about our number six?
0: Okay, this is the big epic Terranoth game from Fantasy Flight. Well, there's a theme here for mine. And that's Rune Wars. And this is not the new miniatures game. This is the original board game from, uh, I think, 2011, 2012. Epic game it takes, you know, five, six, seven hours. And you are one of these four races racing out, fighting the others to claim these runes on the board. So there's a little bit of area control, a little bit of just beat down your opponent and take take over their territory. There are a few other elements in here. It has this weird hero mechanic um, that happens in between the rounds that everybody finds a little odd. But really the core of the game is building up your army, moving it out, taking over as much territory as you can, and taking control of these runes. Um, and finding them, really, because some of them are hidden throughout the board. Uh, and it's it's fantastic fun.
1: All right. So our number six is Star Wars Rebellion. I can't say much more about this that you don't already know. It's Empire versus the Rebel Alliance with outstanding, amazing miniatures, including Death Stars, where you can actually go around this map and blow up planets. Beautiful production battling to the end, trying to protect your hidden base while the Empire is cruising along the galaxy, building up these giant armadas to take you down. Star Wars Rebellion does an outstanding job of that galactic, epic, operatic kind of battle game. All right, Anthony, what about our number four? Blood Rage! <laughs> <laughs> Never gets old. All
0: right. Never gets old. It mean, probably does,
1: actually. Probably it's probably how- <laughs> people out there are like and stop (laughs) Stop. just remember talking about controversial things you can't unsubscribe to us until you subscribe to us so just keep that in mind
0: (laughs) yeah if you're not listening you can't get upset that i just did that there you go (laughs) um now this is eric lang's at this point i I would consider it his opus this is all combat all the time you doing a couple other things to build up what you can do in terms of combat but really you're just you're putting guys out there, and you're fighting with them. If you're not fighting, you're playing it wrong. And the game is so great because it makes dying fun. So <laughs> There you go. Whether you win or lose a battle, whether you control or don't control an area, you're always doing something, and that is a great combat game.
1: True. Many games don't reward you for losing in battles. This game does. Our number three pick is Kemet, another battle game where it's all about the battling. The map is small, you're building up tiles to make your army better, to do more attacking. If you're not attacking, you're not even playing this game. It's amazing. Anthony and I both enjoy this game greatly, especially all the different monsters that you can recruit to fight in your battles. Anthony, what about our number two?
0: Number two is a game I just recently got a chance to play, and this one is... On probably on the other side of that line towards war game. I'm not going to say it's not a war game, because, especially because if I don't say this, other people are going to email me and say, that's a war game. You it's said there war. were no war games. <laughs> um, but I, I would argue that this is kind of, it manages to stay in between. It's not as complicated as a lot of other war games. I've played enough of them to be able to delineate here. I think this is a, a war game for board gamers who want to play war games. And it's Conflict of Heroes. Um, specifically, first module is the one that's, that I played, Awakening the Bear. Uh, you are playing in these skirmishes, these firefights, and they're, they're set up within the book and they tell you, you know, where you're going to be and who comes in when there's only a handful of rounds, five or six rounds. Some of these are only 30, 45 minutes long. They go upwards of a couple hours, but none of them are like the Epic scale, you know, eight hour games that you're used to thinking of with war games. They're accessible. They're quick. There's a lot of content in the box and there's a lot of different boxes to be able to expand the system and play more of it if you enjoy it. It's really, really quite enjoyable. I didn't think I would like it as much as I do just because I'm not a war gamer, but it really manages to to scratch that itch and feel more like a puzzle, but not a non-thematic puzzle. It's very much about that combat, and it does it really well.
1: And our number one battle game is Memoir 44. Now, we've talked about some amazing battle games, but the one that typically stands out for board gamers is Memoir 44 by Days of Wonder and the incredible designer Richard Borg. He's using his classic command and colors system here. So what you're looking at here is a two-player game, Allies versus Axis. You're looking at the European theater. This is part of the D-Day evasion here. And what's outstanding about this game is not just the innovative, simple to play, difficult to master command and color system where you're going to have a hand of cards and on each of the cards it could give you a special ability for your troops but typically what it's going to do is it's going to allow you to activate, send out orders onto the field to activate troops in one of three areas. Now sometimes the cards will activate two or all three But typically, it's going to be somewhat balanced on how many troops you can move and and command to fight. So, as a board gamer who's looking to get into war games, this is a really good gateway for war games. And as I said, this is a great battle game. The miniatures are outstanding. You're going to find a whole number of infantry troops. You're going to find tanks. And the game has so many, so many expansions here. You have the Pacific Theater. You have all the different countries And you have all the different units that were played and tremendous, outstanding campaign books with historical notations that they really try very hard to mimic what actually went on in those battles. If you don't want to play this as a two-player game, you can easily play this in its Memoir 44 Overlord scenarios where you can play up to eight players. An average game length is going to be about 30 to 60 minutes. But depending on how large or how complicated you want to put into this, you can even play longer. This game has been around for a long time, way back to 2004, and it's still getting gameplay out there on the table. So if you're looking for an outstanding and what we consider the best battle game, take a look at Memoir 44. Alright, so that's everything for this week. Until next time, this is Chris. And this is Anthony. And we'll save you a seat at our foxhole at the table.